We have to remain God's people. And glory belongs to God. I said glory belongs to God. It doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to you. We can never get so great that we start to take God's glory. He is the king of glory. I want to stay small in my eyes. I want to stay poor in spirit. I want to remain the least of these in my world so that I can give him all the glory that belongs unto him. Hallelujah. If God is going to entrust us with miracle signs and wonders, we're going to have to make sure he gets all the glory. If our churches are going to grow, he has to get all the glory. If we're going to increase, he has to get all the glory. He is the king of glory. Huh. And, 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 and the thing about it is I don't want anybody to despair about elements that come against you. We're in a good place right now. We're in a good place right now. This psalm that I read to you is a psalm written by people who were the smallest. It was praise from the mouths of small people. I'm amazed that a sliver of dirt on the edge of a small nondescript ocean could change the course of the entire planet. Israel, an Abrahamic influence, has literally shifted the course of nations, continents, and kings. Christianity... Judaism and Islam all come from a small little section of the planet. And wars today are being fought over Father Abraham. God's people have never had to be the most to have influence. Oh, hallelujah. I am not afraid of who we are right now. We are in a good place. We did a lot of big things last night. A small group of people did big things last night because little is much when God is in it. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's influence in this place. There's godly influence in this place. I don't back away from the fact that I am not the most. I don't sit and scheme about how to get more people at the expense of truth and doctrine. I don't feel less worth. I don't try to compete with charismatics. I'm not... I'm not sowing a weed bed. I'm sowing a vineyard. I'm sowing a garden. It's going to bring forth fruit. I'm not trying to get a crowd. I'm trying to get a church. 
I'm trying to get a chosen people, a holy nation, a peculiar people, a chosen generation that we could show forth the praises of God. I'm not talking about a crowd. I'm talking about the church. Bought by the blood of Jesus, baptized in his name, filled with the Holy Ghost, tongue-talking, separate from the world, church. Well, we have to stop preaching that because if we preach that, people are going to leave. If they leave, they were supposed to leave. Well, if we worship that loud, somebody might get scared. Let them get scared. Let's worship anyway. I'm not doing it for them. I'm doing it for Jesus Christ. If Michael wants to look down from her ivory tower, go ahead and let her. You dance anyway. You praise anyway. You give him glory anyway. Hallelujah. When the presence of God is here, dance. When the presence of God is coming, shout. When the presence of God is coming, clap. Shout unto God. Shout. Don't you be intimidated. Don't you be scared. This is what changes the lives of men. Fitting in doesn't change anybody. The church changes them. Oh, hallelujah. So many young men look at our numerical size and say to themselves, that's too high a price to pay. And when they begin to sell out the priceless doctrines that are given to us by the word of God, they stop being the church. It's no longer the church. Now, I don't want anybody to get scared or in despair or worried because this is, we are not the only generation that has faced that spirit. I'm going to tell you that God has done this many times. Every generation has to endure for truth. Every generation has to enter into spiritual warfare with the spirit of the age and has got to learn to stand up and say, I'm going to preach the word of God. I have to make up in my mind, do I want the praise of men or do I want the praise of God? Because God's truth is the kind of a thing that he'll let the entire world go by rather than compromise his truth. If he's got eight people that believes this thing, then eight people are going to get on a boat and they're going to be saved to the condemnation of the world that God may be true and every man a liar. Somebody make up in your mind, I'm going to be in the church. Somebody make up in your mind, I want the real thing. Somebody make up in your mind, I want his glory.
I want his glory. I don't want to know. I don't want talent. I want anointing. Now I'm not knocking. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not reveling in ignorance. I'm not trying to glorify ignorance and say that we need to do things slipshod or halfway. We need to do the best that we can, but, but, but we need to glorify God. And if I hit a few wrong notes along the way and that's the best I've got, then I'm going to glorify him anyway. I don't want to become so polished that God stops moving. I don't want to become so full of myself that God stops moving. I don't want oratory to replace preaching. We've got to have the church. We've got to have his glory. We've got to have a move of God. So, I'm sure, I'm sure that you heard the scripture I, I was reading the other day and I was reading about God's glory and reading about it I was coming to the book of Isaiah chapter chapter 6 where where the Bible says that in the year that King Uzziah died he saw the Lord and he was high and he was lifted up and his train it filled the temple and the angels cried, holy, holy, holy unto the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And I've heard that sung about. I've heard that preached about. I have a mental picture in my mind. As a child, I, I had a picture of Jesus in the temple with a train set running around him. Chugga, chugga, choo, choo, train. Just moving around the temple because his train filled the temple. It made perfect sense. <laughs> and I got a little older and I realized it didn't mean that kind of train. It meant his train, his royal apparel, his, his royal garment. And then I learned something neat, which I, most folks that have read scripture and studied for any length of time, you probably heard it, that the reason why the train filled the temple is because, because of the victories that he had won. Because when a king would defeat another king, he would go and he would cut off his train and sew it onto his train. And so Isaiah's vision was of a king that had won countless victories. That was a victorious conquering king and the Bible says that the angels cried out and they identified who the Lord of glory in Isaiah's vision was it was the Lord of hosts 
The scripture called him the Lord of Sabaoth. He was the Lord of hosts. And he was the God of increase. He takes the small and he increases them into a host. And so my mind began to look at that, and I, I, I've read it a thousand times, and I, I, I wasn't quite sure exactly where Isaiah was coming from. I always viewed it just as this isolated thing by itself, but I had taken the time to read the chapter before that. And the context of Isaiah 6 is prefaced by Isaiah 5, where the Lord of hosts is repeatedly mentioned over and over and over and over again the lord of hosts the lord of hosts the lord of hosts i want to share something with you tonight from isaiah chapter 5 i want to show you the context of what isaiah was looking at that day Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 1, he said, Now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it. The first thing he did in his vineyard, he fenced it. This is one of the reasons why I will always preach holiness. Because around God's vineyard, He will erect a separating barrier. It is not to keep us in so much as it is to keep them out. The protection of the vineyard, the Bible says that He fenced it. I'm thankful for separation from this world. I think that if we're going to have a church or a vineyard, we're going to have to remain separate from this world. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. And God's fundamental teaching, you'll find this exact same picture in Mark chapter 12 when Jesus talked about letting out his vineyard to husbandmen. He said, I built a wall around my vineyard. And I, he let it out to husbandmen. He built a wall. He fenced it. And he gathered out the stones thereof. I'm so glad for preaching that removes obstacles to fruitfulness. I wonder if there's some people here tonight when you came into the church, you had some rocks in your garden. I want to know if there's somebody here tonight, you had some hard places in your life, submerged in the way. The kind of thing you could stub your toe on, the kind of thing that could wreck a plow, the kind of thing that could mess up the harvest. But the Bible says he gathered the stones out of it. I want to make sure that the preaching does what the preaching is designed to do. 
I want the word of God to have free course in my, if we're going to be the church, if we're going to be God's chosen people, we've got to remove some things out of our life. There are some things I got rid of that I had to get rid of in order to plant the good things of God. The seed of the, my Lord, the Bible said there was some, some ground that the seed fell on. It could not bear root because it was stony ground. I don't want anything to hinder the word of God in my life, in the life of my children, in the, my marriage, in my church, in my family. I want the word of God to have free course. Preaching works. I don't mean lecturing. I don't mean uh, pontificating. I don't mean sermonizing. I mean the spirit of prophecy. I mean the word of God that comes out of the oracle of God. That out of anointed lips that moves from person to person to person. And it deals with spiritual dynamics. And it breaks strongholds of sin. And it pulls people out of the miry clay. And it sets them upon a rock. And it establishes their coming and their going. And I want... If we're going to have that kind of a dynamic, we're going to have to have preaching. You can't sing your way into heaven. You've got to have preaching. We can't dance our way into heaven. We've got to have preaching. We can't fellowship our way into heaven. We've got to have preaching. God chose by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. He gathered out the stones thereof and he planted it with the choicest vine and he built a tower in the midst of it. I love Jesus name baptism and in our vineyard we're going to have a tower and it's going to be a strong tower. It's called the name of the Lord. One of the reasons that make us peculiar is that we love the name of Jesus. It is a strong tower. And the righteous runneth into it and are safe. We prayed for people tonight that are sick in their bodies. This last week, a friend of mine was walking by his boss's office, a boss that gave him a tough time, always on his back. And today she was crying in her office, trying to hide it, but unsuccessfully. So he stopped, torn within himself. Should I talk to her? Should I help her? Well, it's not my business. And he wrestled with himself. Finally he said, you know what? I'm, I'm going in. And he said, can I help you? She tried to wipe her tears away, but it was obvious she was distraught. She said, it's nothing, it's nothing, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. He said, no, talk to me, I, 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 I want to help you. I'm a Christian. And she said, it's my aunt. She's been diagnosed with, with breast cancer. And we've known that, and she's actually gone through seven different administrations of chemotherapy. And they can't get rid of the lumps. The tumors are growing, and they're metastasizing, and they have told her she's going to die very soon and we are at our wits end we don't know what to do um, 
she's going to leave behind a very large family. We just don't know what we're going to do. And the young man, he's probably 30 years of age, he, he, said, he said, you know what? I'm going to pray for her. And, and she said, oh, thank you, thank you. We, we appreciate your prayers. He said, no, 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 no. I'm going to pray for her now. He said, lift up your hands. I'm going to pray for you. And when you go to see her, you put your hands on her in Jesus' name. A little startled, a little, this isn't proper. This is, this is not what you do in the workplace. She put her hands up hesitantly, and he said, in the name of Jesus, I'm taking authority over that cancer right now. In Jesus' name, I command it to loose its hold now. And he spoke that healing name of Jesus. He said, Brother Urshan, I went home. I thought nothing more. He said, two days later, my door to my office burst open. And it was my boss, and she said, man of God, I don't know what you did, but whatever it was, the tumors are gone. And they want us to get rid of Jesus' name? No, sir. No, ma'am. It's the tower in the vineyard. God put it there. God put it there. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. And the righteous run into it, run into it, run into it. And they are safe. We're healed in that name. We baptize in that name. We hold on to that name. We are the people of the name of Jesus. And so I put a tower in my vineyard. If you don't like Jesus' name, then you need to blame heaven's architect. Because he put the tower in there. And then he said, I put a wine press. Now see, that right there is where people start looking at us funny. Because what good is a vineyard if you don't have wine? People want to stop us from enjoying the blessing of the vineyard. I'm, I'm just going to tell you right now, I wouldn't go to a church that didn't have the Holy Ghost. I'll take it a step further. A vineyard's not a vineyard unless they have a wine press. Hallelujah. I need to know if there's anybody here tonight that knows how to crank out some worship and knows how to take a drink. These are not drunk as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. But this is a kind of an experience. This is a supernatural visitation that only the vineyard can produce. We need Holy Ghost Church. We need Holy Ghost worship. We need Holy Ghost preaching. We need Holy Ghost youth groups. We need Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost. I'm talking about a wine press. I'm talking about... Hallelujah. 
You're not going to overcome 2013 devils unless you got the Holy Ghost. You aren't going to get rid of them with stained glass. You're not going to get rid of them with coffee and donuts. You better have the Holy Ghost, brother. You better have a supernatural visitation of God that knows how to break the stronghold, destroy the yoke. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me and He's anointed me to preach. Bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, and to set at liberty them that are bruised. Only the Holy Ghost can do that. Come on, I want to know if there's a vineyard out there tonight. I want to know if there's a church out there tonight. The planting of the Lord. Hallelujah. This is how the church operates. These are the dynamics of God's church. This is what brings his glory. Ah, there's professors with PhDs that have never felt what you feel here right now. They can explain Melchizedek. They can explain ancient Sumerian languages. They can talk to you about all kinds of fine biblical points. But when it comes to the Holy Ghost, uh, the pointy-headed intellectual has nothing on what you got here right now. Because we're cranking out new wine, baby. We're cranking out. The vineyard is doing what the vineyard does. There's vineyards all over the United States. There's vineyards in Calgary. There's vineyards in North Carolina. There's vineyards from all over the place here. And we know how to make the wine. We know how to make the wine. We know. My God. This is a song of my beloved. And about a vineyard. I love the church. You can be seated. These are some of the dynamics that, that come from God's design. Bible says, he looked that it should bring forth grapes. It brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? I want to tell some young person, some young adult tonight, that what you have is enough. I don't need another thrill. I don't need to go to the world. I don't need to sit in dissatisfaction and look over like Samson to the Philistines wondering what's on the other side. I don't want God to look at me and say, what more could I have done? Preaching is enough. Worship is enough. The one place he said, I am your reward and I am your exceeding great portion. He's my portion tonight. He's my exceeding great reward tonight. Jesus is enough tonight. When I drink of that water, it satisfies the thirst. What more could I have done? 
judge betwixt me and my vineyard. And I saw something, brethren, that I had never seen before. See, I thought that I was the only one facing compromisers. I cry my eyes out because friends and peers of mine stray from the things of God. But I'm here to tell you that God's seen it all. And He's been there. He's done it. And He emerged victorious. And His train fills the temple because of it. I always thought it because God, you know, God beat up the Assyrians and God beat up the Babylonians and so His train filled the temple. But I don't know that that's just it. I think that there are spiritual dynamics at play. There are generational things at play. God has been victorious in every generation. In my great-grandfather, my grandfather, my father, and in my generation, and in my son's generation, God will be victorious. He's going to win. He's going to come out on top. Isaiah was going through things at this time. And you know, every time I looked up the Lord of hosts in the Bible, not, well, not every time, but many, many times, a lot of times it was in the face of human corruption. Wrong governmental influence that were supposed to do it right, but didn't do it right. Isaiah suffering under the yoke of Uzziah, who was a good king at times, but had gotten sideways with God had forgotten Levitical purpose and had thought that he could come in and he could offer up sacrifices only reserved for the priests and God had to smite him with leprosy in his forehead and he had to be physically dragged from the temple because he lost his place he forgot God's purpose the Lord of hosts is repeatedly referred to in times of great distress I find that to be a common theme among God's people. Like, like, like for instance, that when, when David fought against Saul, when he fought against Saul, the Bible says that David waxed mighty and he increased greatly because of the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts had forsaken Saul and so the increase was gone. But now everything David touched multiplies because the Lord of hosts... I, I know that it is possible to lose, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm preaching a warning here tonight because I don't want to lose what we have. It is possible to have something so great and distort God's purpose. It's possible to be increased by the Lord of hosts, and then when you increase, you fall in love with the creature more than the creator. It's, it's possible for the Lord of hosts to bless your finance and to increase it numerically. And hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. A lot of people think that that's the answer. That's not the answer if it stops us from praying. That's not the answer if I can't listen to my pastor anymore. I will never get so rich that I don't need to hear my pastor. 
I will never get so smart that I don't need men of God. I, will, I, I can never look at Samuel and say, I don't need you anymore. I'm the king now. As I'm increased, as the church is increased, as God's people are increased, we have to always guard jealously the glory of God. It's possible to even get so far out of alignment that the king that God had given to win battles is now chasing David all over the countryside trying to murder the psalmist. How does God's covenant get there? How do we go from Samuel to that? How do we, how do we go from from righteous kings and godly men to, 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 to Jezebel murdering hundreds of prophets when she's supposed to be a guardian. Yet we see Ahab and Jezebel trying to steal a vineyard. There's got to be some Naboths. That stand up and say, you know what, I believe in authority. And I believe in the rule of law, and I believe in following rules, and I believe in chain of command, but what you're doing is not of God. And you can call me a rebel, and you can call me out of alignment, and you can call me whatever you want, but I'm not selling my vineyard. I'm not selling my vineyard. I'm not selling my vineyard. I was given this vineyard by my father. I was given this vineyard by my father's father. And how can I give the inheritance of the Lord? There's some Naboths here tonight at Summit 2013 that are saying we want to get along with everybody, but we cannot sell our vineyard. So there's this example. There's this example of people starting small, growing powerful, and then becoming monsters. They forget the purpose of God. Jesus tried to describe it in, in parable form. He said, I planted a vineyard. Well, the, the master planted the vineyard and he let it out and the point was to bring forth fruit. It wasn't for you to take control. It wasn't for you to dominate. It wasn't for you to take power. It wasn't for you to beat. It wasn't for you to kill. You have forgotten the purpose of the vineyard. And so when people forgot the purpose, they cried out to the Lord of Sabaoth. To bring it back into alignment with what it was originally designed to be. The Bible talks about it in the book of James. It says, woe unto you rich man, howl and weep. Don't, don't laugh, don't, don't have mirth, howl and weep. Because the wages of those that worked in the fields are kept back by you. You fraudulently dealt with men. And now their cry has come up into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. 
I'm telling you here tonight, our God does not leave us. Our God does not forsake us. Our God does not leave us alone, but he hears us tonight. There is revival in this room right now. There are some people that have been hurt. There are some people that have been through things. There are some spirits of this age trying to take over God's church. But we're going to cry out to the Lord of hosts. And he responds. And he hears. And he blesses. And he delivers. And he sets free. Now, I, I want to I hurry. I don't want to go a long time. But I, I, I want to get this across. You can be seated. I saw a pattern emerge that shocked me. Isaiah chapter 5, what could I have done with my vineyard? Verse 5, now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof. There's a reason why holiness is the first thing to go. You have seen the pattern a hundred times. I'm not compromising. No, no, that's not what that is. Uh, no, 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 you're overreacting. Oh, you're, you're so judgmental. You're so old-fashioned. You've got to get with the times. But God said that when it doesn't bring forth fruit, I will take away the hedge. I'm going to tell you something about that. There's an arrogance that comes into the mind of a compromiser that thinks they're the one making all the decisions. God didn't say, you'll take away the hedge. He said, he'll take away the hedge. I have found that there are people who arrogantly believe that they're the only one making these decisions. There are people that will look at you and say, I'm leaving the church. It'll probably all fall apart when I leave. Y'all probably never had anything like that happen, but I've had that happen. I'm leaving. You know what scares me? What scares me is, is, is not when I struggle, not when the devil comes against me, not when bad things happen. That, that's going to happen to everybody. There's no temptation that's taking you but that which is common to man. That's going to come. What scares me is God taking his hand off me. I don't think God has to send curses. I think all he has to do is take his hand off of us. I, I, don't, I don't know that in Egypt that, that, that God had to just send evil. Uh, I, I think all God had to do was simply just stop doing what he does every day. Because the Bible says it's of his mercies that we are not consumed. Oh, Lord, great is thy faithfulness. Every day I live, he puts a hedge around me. I read about a hedge around Job that the devil tried to get through 
in vain and 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 god put a hedge around that righteous man and the devil railed against him skin for skin uh, you remove that hedge and he will curse you i don't want god to remove the hedge from around my life and i don't want god to remove the hedge from around my children and i don't want god to remove the hedge from around my marriage you don't know what kind of a gargoyle is going to crawl up out of hell and wreak havoc in your house I need him. I need Jesus. I need his angels. I need his covering. I need his protection. And he said that when my vineyard doesn't produce, I will remove the hedge. See, the backslider always thinks it's all them. You can be seated. That, that scares me witless. Because I know enough to know that there's heavenly counsels. And I've read a little bit about where God said, who shall go down and deceive? And that wicked king thought the idea to go to battle was his. A whispering voice, a suggestion. Have you ever read in Proverbs where it said that the heart of the king is in God's hand to turn it whithersoever he will? The Bible says he hardened Pharaoh's heart. For those of you that think God can't do that, you need to talk to Nebuchadnezzar. God can take away things. God can, can remove hedges. God can cause us to become something less than what we are. I actually read in the Bible where they, they will come when the Lord will send out his angels and they will gather. They will gather the wheat and they will gather the tares. See, there, there's this gathering thing that bothers me because what that tells me is I'm not the only one at work here. There is a pull. I think it's me. I think it's all me. I'm telling you there's angelic and demonic forces that pull. There's a reason why fornicators gravitate to fornicators. They can spot each other from a mile away. There's a look in the eye. There's a cut of the eye. There's, there's, a, there's a mode of dress. There's a tone of voice. The Bible says the wicked man, he winketh with his eye and he teaches with his hands and his feet. There's a body language that people understand. Drug users know each other. Liars very quickly find each other. The righteous will feel uncomfortable in that atmosphere and they will be gathered to the righteous. That's why we gather together in Summit in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. There was angelic hands that gathered people from all over the United States as we I'm not the only one at work here there are spiritual forces at work and there is a gathering and the Bible says that they're gathered to be burned so I'm going to get with my buddies and we're going to go 
that's not all you, brother. And you have your gathering. But I hope you know what the end result of that gathering is. So I will tell you what I will do in my vineyard. I believe God gathers godly people together. I cannot tell you what a joy it is to be in this place right now. I am so thankful for the men of God. The last five, six, seven years of my life are the best years I've ever had. I'm not looking to see who's going to stab me in the back. I'm not having to compete with anybody. I'm not having to worry who's going to say what and who's going to steal what and who's going to do what. I have found brethren of like precious faith. I have found people that love God. I'm sorry. I'm pulled to it. I'm pulled to it. There's a magnetism. There's a drawing. Haven't you ever read that you can't come except the Father draw you? There's a drawing, a pulling, a gathering. Ah, hallelujah. Don't let God take down the hedge. I know you think you're letting those things go. But God is simply removing his hands and letting the devil have them. Is this all right? I want the vineyard. I want the vineyard. You can be seated. I'll take away the hedge thereof. It shall be eaten up. Break down the wall thereof. It shall be trodden down and I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned nor digged. I told you I love apostolic preaching. And I believe that apostolic preaching is not tickling ears. It's actually a little painful sometimes. When apostles preached, men were pricked in their hearts. When Stephen preached, they were cut to their hearts. They stopped up their ears. They gnashed on him with their teeth. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. I want to hear the word of God. Well, if you preach like that, people are going to leave. You have to cut away the dead if the vine's going to live. You can't let that hypocrisy remain. You can't let that lustfulness remain. You can't let those ulterior motives stay present. You can't let that lasciviousness and that sensuality. Preaching will prune. Preaching will dig. Don't get in my business, preacher. Yes, get in my business. Preach the word of God. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Because after you remove the hedge, you won't allow the pruning. I, I know, I, I've had it happen. You can be seated. I've had it happen. I've had people leave church 
and they go across town to a church where people will say sweet things to them. Well, what are we going to do? Well, the church isn't growing. The church was never the biggest. It's a remnant. I'm not saying it's us foreign no more. I believe there's going to be a great multitude in heaven. But the Bible says in Isaiah 1 that except the Lord had left us a remnant, we would have been made like unto Sodom and Gomorrah. If you don't prune, you'll be filled with sin. If you don't cut back, I've watched people walk out of the church and they were wealthy. I've watched people walk out of the church and they were professional. I've watched people walk out of the church and in my flesh I thought, oh God, what have I done? And I've watched them be replaced by simple people who just love God. And you know, when you prune back a bush, you think, my God, I killed it. You prune that thing back and you got like four branches sticking there. And that's all there is. My God, what have I done to the church? Nobody's going to come back next Sunday. What are we going to do? I'm going to tell you what, if somebody has a heart for the truth, if somebody hears the ring of truth, if somebody has the genuine love of God and the move of the Holy Ghost, those branches are going to bud. Green shoots are going to come out. That thing, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he purgeth it. Not because he's mean, but that it may bring forth more fruit. Your church is going to die if you don't preach. Your church is going to backslide if you don't preach. My church is going to die if I don't know how to prune and dig. Ah, uh, I'm sorry. I cannot listen to smooth preaching. I cannot listen to prosperity preaching. I cannot listen to some type of a smooth orator. Give me a man of God. Give me an oracle. Give me a Micaiah that knows... Give me a man that knows how to operate under the anointing. Give me somebody that knows how to preach the word of God. That's the only way the vineyard's going to survive. If you don't prune, you'll lose his glory. You can be seated. So the crowd may be a little smaller. But that's just because the hypocrite can't remain. Why do you want the hypocrite to remain? I am not building an increased membership only. I'm building a church. Without spot. Without wrinkle, I'm going to present her a chaste virgin to Christ. Oh, I wish I could tell you the spirits I've struggled with when strong-willed people full of their flesh didn't know how to pray, fought battles. One day they walked out. I thought it was the end. It wasn't the end. It was the beginning. The very next service, the Holy Ghost broke out. 
what happened? You pruned. Now the nutrients go where they're supposed to. Now the vitamins go where it's supposed to. That bad spirit is gone. And the righteous can thrive. And the godly can survive. Because you... This is the only way to build a vineyard. Somebody needs to learn that the Lord of Sabaoth is working on our behalf. The Lord of hosts is giving us increase. But it's the increase of God. I want to grow with the increase of God. I don't want the increase of man. I want the increase of God. I don't want an influx of the world. I want people to repent of their sins. I want them to be baptized in Jesus' name. I want them to be filled with the Holy Ghost. I want the church. I'm trying to close. I'm trying to close. You can be seated. I, I'm, 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 I'm. <laughs> Take away my hedge. Not pruned or digged. But there shall come up briars and thorns. If you don't preach the way we're supposed to preach, you will find that instead of bringing up good fruit, Instead of bringing forth innocence and purity and godliness, briars and thorns will come up. I've had enough of sharp-eyed opportunists. I've had enough of people that know how to play church. I've had enough of professional Pentecost. Those are briars. Those are thorns. I like it when our young men and our young... I, I like it when young ladies don't have to compete with sensuality. And I like it when young men don't want it. There's nothing more heartbreaking for a young lady to not use worldly tools of seduction and some other young lady come walking in that does use those tools and some young fool turn his head and look at the worldly girl and not the godly girl. Those are thorns. Those are briars. And they have no place in the vineyard. Preaching will dig that out. Preaching will cut that out. Preaching will drive that off. Preaching will bring repentance. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, I'm not preaching this from a hammer time, beat you up point of view. I'm preaching this from a love of God point of view. I have young ladies in my church when they came in, they didn't know anything but to be sensual. That, that's how they were taught in the world. That was, that was called beauty in the world. 
And they come in and their eyes are full of sensuality and the way, their body language and, and the way that they dress and conduct themselves. And, and, and that's all that they know. I don't condemn them. I know that the Holy Ghost can work on them. I know. Just come in and let the preaching of God work on you. And let the prayer meetings work on you. And let the Holy... Come on into the vineyard. We're going to prune some things out of your life. And we're going to clip some things off. And we're going to dig up some roots in your past. And we're going to... My God. Oh... It's such a good feeling to watch sensuality be replaced by innocence and godliness and forthrightness and integrity. And young men lift up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. They're not polluted by this world, but they are pure in the eyes of God. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, yeah. I've been to churches before where it felt like I was pulling a semi-truck. I, ha- I was wading through molasses. There was so much carnality and worldliness that I couldn't get anything done. But when I go to a church where the pastor has pruned and where the vineyard is producing, we don't have to spend an hour getting through the flesh. People come out praising. They come out worshiping. They come out dancing. They come out shouting. That's the vineyard, honey. That's the vineyard. That's the Lord of glory. I know I've preached a long time. I'm trying to end it. You can be seated. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain. When the Holy Ghost stops moving, people think they have to replace it. Maybe we need fog machines. Maybe we can get some lights. Multicolored. You know, maybe I can attach some cables on me and I can lower myself down to the platform. You know, I don't want a show. I want a move of God. Is there anybody in here that likes the rain? Is there anybody in here that wants a move of God? Is there anybody here that doesn't need the trinkets? That doesn't need all the little buzz? We need an apostolic move of the Holy Ghost. Yeah. Yeah, he's all the light I need. He's all the cloud I need. He's all the thrill I need. All that thrills my soul is Jesus. I need worship. I need preaching. I need a move of God. Let it rain. Let it rain. Yeah, yeah, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man can still make it rain. It can still make it rain. 
You can remain standing. Musicians, you can come. There's so much that happens. This is a, a degenerative thing. And it happens and has happened countless times. If I had the time, I'd talk to you in verse 8. Woe to them that join house to house, lay field to field, till there be no place that they may be placed alone in the midst of the earth. There are people that they want glory so bad. I've seen people form cliques and power families come together. I'm talking to you about what destroys the vineyard. House to house, place to place, no room for anybody else. Keep out the fresh voice. Keep out the anointed voice. Keep out anything that might threaten what we're doing. Ten acres of a vineyard shall yield one bath. The seed of an omer shall yield an ephah. When Bible studies grow less and less, when, the, when, when ten acres are supposed to produce such bounty, and nobody gets the Holy Ghost anymore. New souls aren't being brought in anymore. People aren't being converted. They're being schmoozed in. They're being patted on the back. They're being assimilated without change. Verse 12, the harp and the vial, the tabret, the pipe, and wine are in their feast. When music programs become the focus. And sin is overlooked because people are talented musically. See, this isn't the first generation. It's a progressive degeneration. And under corrupt, corruption and fighting through all of this, the vineyard dies. My people are gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. Honorable men are famished. Their multitude dried up with thirst. That's when it says, therefore hell hath enlarged itself opened her mouth I could go through the whole chapter but I'm trying to tell you that this is a typical thing that happens in every generation the good news is that there came a time when King Uzziah died and Isaiah got a revelation that there's a king over the king And when he died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. The fact that his train filled the temple wasn't because the Assyrians and the Babylonians, and the, it wasn't just because of that. It was because God had won victory after victory with generation after generation after generation. God is going to have a people. God is going to have a, his train filling the temple was generations of people that had gone through this exact thing and they saw the Lord 
high and lifted up. Hallelujah. I want his glory to fill this place tonight. I want his glory to fill my church. Can you raise your hands right where you're at? I want the Lord to fill this place right now. I can't let Uzziah's criticisms, I can't let, I can't let the kings of this world stop me from what I know is right. This is the vineyard. This is the vineyard. I need his glory to fill this place. I need the Holy Ghost to be poured out. I need it to be like it used to be. I need there to be a move of God, a sovereign move of the Holy Ghost. All over this building, I want you to lift up your hands. I want you to lift up your voice. Somebody cry out to the Lord of hosts. He's the king of glory. He's the king of glory. He has his eyes on a little group of people. He said, I've done it a thousand times. I've taken the small and I've made them large. I've taken the lowly and I've made them great. I've taken the tail and I've made it the head. I've taken the smallest and I made them the biggest. Lift up your head, O ye gates. Be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. I want the doorposts of this house to shake. I want the angels to cry holy, holy, holy unto the Lord. The whole earth is filled with His glory.